thank you, Lord, that you, as we will hear on Sunday, you will rise, or you did, you rose again, and you live, and you speak, Lord, and you're going to speak this morning through Jim. And so we want to be those that listen and respond to you. So will you help us do that? And will you help Jim, to, Lord, to bring your word, Amen. Lord, yeah. with power and clarity, mm. straight from your heart. We thank you for his heart to serve you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, I don't know, you worship on Good Friday, really, because it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it, when you think of the cross. Um, but I think what I'd like to do this morning is just to kind of share some of the things that God uh, has put on my heart, anyway. Um, and so... Yeah, so I'll try and be as uh, faithful to what God has said as I can, but I, I can get lost in things, so let's hope it goes. But um, what, something that struck me is um, in my Bible, you know this book is about uh, death and life. It's about um, despair and hope. It's in two parts. It has the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, what was surprising to me, well, it wasn't surprising really, but I, I counted um, how many pages there are in my Bible of the story, you know, from start to finish. And there, there was roughly 1,800 pages to read in the Bible. Uh, 1,400 of those pages were taken up with the Old Testament. 14 pages were taken up for that which was passing, which was dying, which was death itself, and was full of sin, and etc., etc. And the last 400, now, I was going to ask if Alan had been here, what kind of percentage that is. I don't know whether anyone can, can let me know. <laughs> What is, uh, what is the percentage? It's around about 75%, I think. It's something like that. Anyway. Um, and what it was saying to me was that this, um, this world that we live in is dying and there's death all around us. There is death everywhere that we go. Um, and you can look at it. And it's being played out today the misery of the Old Testament. Now, I know that we had great heroes of God in the Old Testament, and we know that we had Abraham and we had Moses and Jacob and all these kind of men, and um, they all speak about their occasions, you know, that they met. <laughs> they met with God, and God kind of um, spoke to them, and what they would do is that they would build an altar or I mean, something that they could go back to and remember what God had done for them. And uh, they'd done this throughout. It begins right at the very beginning when Abel and Cain both give an offering to God. There was this sense in people's life that there was more to life than just what you saw around you. And there is the same for us today. And I think um, in the Old Testament, at the end of it, these people 
had done everything that they could or they thought that they could and there was no answer to sin. Um, we can read right through that history, right from the Abraham when he came out and, and God said, I will bless every nation in you and he went through and he built altars. Um, but there was always sin there. There was always death. There was always the marks of what the world is like. And so it went on right through. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear of the highs and the lows. But when it comes to it, the end of that Old Testament was death. And it came to a point where God cried out to his people. He said, these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And it's a very sort of um, sad picture of what the world is like. And you can trace it if you want to. If you can go through history, you can see some of the awful things that have gone on in this world and the awful things that people have done to each other. The abuse, the absolute slaughter, the wickedness of man against man. And it's continued. And it went right through that Old Testament. And you know... Jesus came on one day to change all of that. And he came. But it came to those who would receive it, who would believe that he was their saviour. Now the rest, it didn't come to the rest because they didn't believe him. So it continued after Jesus came, you know, gave us hope. The wickedness of the world continued and as you look through history, you can see time and time again, man's inhumanity to man comes up. And it breaks the heart of God. And it should break our heart to think that we live in times when there is so much, um, what can I say, despair, hopelessness. And we don't have, to walk, don't have to go too far away from this building or possibly in this building, to find people who are in despair, who don't know the Lord Jesus. They wouldn't be here this morning singing about he has risen because they don't know him and they have no concept of the cross or what Jesus did. Now that really upsets me when I think of people, my neighbours, other people who are tossed and tormented by the things of life and they have no answer to them. And it was the same in those days when Jesus went to the cross. There was no answer for humanity other than Jesus Christ. We should ponder it. There is no other answer. There is no other religion. There is no other way other than go through him. It's, it's a sobering thought because we come and we praise God for what God's done. But you know, there's a hurting world out there who are in absolute despair and hopelessness. They tried, many years ago, they tried to get rid of God. You have people, there, there is no God. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And people brought it to a place. In Russia, they had their revolution, 
and where they declared there was no God. And in the process of doing that, they killed more people than the Germans. They killed more Russians than the Germans did in the Second World War. Millions were killed who stood against that. They were determined to cut out God and say there is no God. And people are saying it today. There is no God. And we know there is a God. But this was the kind of situation that Jesus was born into. It was a brutal world. I know we've sung about it this morning. Um, I don't want to go into the details. I'm sure you know all the details of the crucifixion and everything. But what I'm wanting to do is kind of uh, show you the bigger picture of not just Christ on the cross, but what life is like for you and I and what life is like for your neighbour who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It's the same time. It cries out, it says, today, today is the day of our salvation. People can change from death to life in an instant, in a moment. But it's only through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> they can only come to that place through him and through recognising what he did on a cross 2,000 years ago. So really, what happened 2,000 years ago is as relevant to us today as it was then. It kind of takes us out of history. God is timeless. And I don't know, I, I can't understand that concept. But at any time, somebody can turn to Christ and have new life and be saved from this miserable world. But how does it come about? How can we do it? How can we bring people to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ? I think one of the first things we have to recognise is the wickedness and the futility and the hopelessness and the despair and the absolute sin of the world that we live in. Instead of being drawn to it, we should be drawn away from it. We should think, this is wrong. What's happening to people? We should be getting indignant about the way people live. We should be getting indignant about how lives are lived out. You look at everything around you and you can see the absolute despair of what this life is like, what this world is like. I don't know how much you consider these things about, you know, when do people come to Christ? When will people see the truth of this gospel? The difference was on that day, on that Good Friday, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. And he said on that day, I go to a cross. And then he cried out, it is finished. He had done it. It destroyed death. What does that mean for us? I think it means we've crossed over from death to life. The world is a dying place. Um, I don't know whether any of you saw, uh, what was it called, The Matrix, many years ago. But people lived in this uh, bubble, a kind of a fantasy world, 
And then uh, their eyes were opened and they saw the world as it really was. And it was full of rotting things and rust and whatever. Um, and I felt that's a good picture. If our eyes are opened, how we should see what the world is like. It's a miserable place. It's a wicked place. But we have the answer. Hallelujah. The answer is this man who was prepared to go to a cross that we might live. I want to look at it, if we may, uh, from the book of Hebrews. And um, what the book of Hebrews, it was to the people who had um, believed in God and they'd followed God. Um, but they, they had their traditions and they had their way of seeing things and they thought that when the, uh, the Saviour came, he would come on a white horse and he would drive all the Jews out, uh, all the Romans out, and he would destroy all their enemies, and they would be, the, you know, the king. They would be in control. And, uh, and these Hebrews would have witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, they would have been in turmoil over, should they believe this or shouldn't they believe it? Should they believe that Christ is the saviour or shouldn't they? Now, You've got people living with you, um, and I've got people who are in that turmoil at the moment. Is he the saviour? You think of our children that, that might not believe him. Is he the saviour or isn't he? Perhaps they've sort of said, no, he isn't. They've made a decision. Is that me? Am I moving around? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, we've got people who are not sure about Jesus Christ, whether he is their saviour or not. Um, they might not say that to you, but they're always questioning and they're always wondering. So they'll dispute it with you and argue with you. And of course, the Hebrews were like that. So Paul had to write to them and he wanted to convince them that Jesus really was the saviour. Now, they recognised the high priest um, and all of the different things that they used to go through. So I just want to read um, from Hebrews, right at the very beginning. It's, it's Paul's job to convince the people that Jesus Christ was a Messiah. Now, today, <laughs> it's your job and my job to prove to people that Jesus is the Messiah. Because he says, go out and preach the gospel in all the world. Are we up to it? Can we do it? Well, let's, let's see how Paul tackles this thing. And he takes and he, he begins his letter to them. What he needs to do, he needs to convince the people with things that they understand. So they understood the rules, they understood the laws, and they understood everything. And so he was going to write to them and he was going to convince them with his letter um, about who Jesus was. And so he begins right at the very beginning. He says, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. That's how he begins. He begins by saying just who Jesus Christ was. As you see in there, he says, he is his son. And of course, um, in those days, it would have been a shame for a, a Jew to sort of call themselves the son of God. That's why Jesus got into trouble a lot when he was around. And he says, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. He finished it. This is who we're not talking about a man that went around um, just sort of healing people. We're talking about this man was the son of God. And that would have registered, that would have challenged the Hebrews. That would have challenged, is there a God? I think we need to challenge people and sort of say to them, is there a God? What do you think? What's your opinion on this? What relevance has it to you in your life? And probably most people um, won't have, won't see that relevance in their life. But it's for us to show them. He goes on to um, speak to them in chapter 2. He talks in, um, in verse 9. He says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Hallelujah. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which re reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And he goes on in verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He was going to set people free from the fear of death. Now, I don't know whether you, know, you fear death or, or what you think about or what people think about this, but it's, it's, it's a known thing that uh, fear of death is a big thing in people's lives. It can be causes of you know, a lot of things. And death was what the Old Testament was about. And here is Jesus who's come, and he's come to set people free from the fear of death and the bondage of it, the things that we do because we fear. Jesus was going to go to a cross and he was going to defeat death. That's why he had to die. He had to die so that we might live. He had to defeat death so that we could live forever with him, 
And that's so important for us to understand. He did die on a cross. The world, you know, these people say, oh, he didn't die, he did this, etc. He had to die to show that he had the victory over death. Why? Because then it's transferred to us. Hallelujah. We have no need to fear death. Now that's something that's going to make you a lot different from the people that live around you. Now how will that reflect in our lives if we get over this bondage of death? If we kind of have discovered that really there is no fear for us in death because it opens up a whole new world for us, providing we die. And there was Jesus on a cross and he cried out, it is finished. He took all the pain, he took all the sin, all the sin. He took everything that was wrong in that world. He took it on him and he came through it. Hallelujah. And he was resurrected, which we'll sort of see more about on Sunday. But at the moment, I just want us to focus on the world that we live in is full of death. And it's only Jesus Christ that will bring people out of death into life. And we've read, you know, this, this Old Testament is about people today. It reflects on lives today. We read about this king and that king, or this tribe or that tribe, but we can read it into everything that we read today or we see today. It's as relevant today as it was then. And the cross of Jesus Christ is as relevant today as it was then. And for people to go to the cross, it's as relevant. That's what's really struck on my heart. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not something that we should, we should uh, build an altar and remember. Um, you know, just, oh, it's, it's a nice thing to remember how God moved then. We need to know that God's moving now. We need to know that he is today is the day of our salvation. Today is the day that we can do these things. Today somebody can go to the cross, can suddenly discover what the crucifixion was to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It, I don't know, it thrills me. I don't know, you know, um, whether I'm saying it that well, but we can go and we can tell people that they can live eternally in a greater blessing than they have got now. Hallelujah. Even if they've been abused, even if they're living in a society which is cruel and has unfairness and injustice and wickedness, they could have come out of all of that past and they can go through into a new world. Hallelujah. Because of who? Because he overcome death. Because he overcomes sin. Because he was prepared to go to a cross and die that we might live. Hallelujah. This, um, in this book of Hebrews, he tells us about um, Jesus' death. And then he goes on to give us a CV, you know, um, a, a kind of an appraisal of who Jesus Christ was, or is, sorry. Um, and he's writing down so these people could compare Jesus Christ with what they know. 
That's what he was doing with them. He was comparing Jesus Christ with what they know. Now, I think there's a key in there for our evangelism there because we should be comparing Jesus Christ with the kind of lives people live. And we should bring it up towards them because we don't tell people about who we are, we tell them about who he is and what he has done and what he did for us on a cross. And that's what he does with these Hebrews. He takes them right back to their priest and he says to them, he says, look, your priest used to go into the Holy and Holies once a year and make an offering. And they did it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then what difference did it make? What difference did it make to the children of Israel? What difference was them going every year? And of course it was making no difference. He said, ah, but Jesus went once. Once in history, Jesus Christ died for us. It was that moment in time, everything changed. Darkness become light. Lies became truth. Well, not lies, you know, but the truth was shown. And so we can do that. We can show our neighbours. We can compare our Jesus with whoever they want to put before us. Amen. In... um, Yeah, if we go to, if I read you from you chapter 7, um, it says, it, For this Melchizedek, he's, he's speaking about Abraham coming back from a war, and he meets up with a guy uh, called Melchizedek. I don't really want to concentrate on him yet, but um, he meets up with him, and Abraham gives him a tithe because he recognizes who he is. Um, and he, then he goes on to speak about the Levi. That's the priest of the, um, of the Jews. In verse 5, it says, um, And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren. Though they have come from the loins of Abraham, But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father. And this is the key to it. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there of another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom these things are spoken to belongs to another tribe for which no man has officiated of the altar. And it goes on to talk about uh, Jesus not being from the, uh, the tribe that produced the priest. 
He was different from the priest. And, um, and what he was saying to them is that they'd had this priestly going through this home, but it come back to this thing, it was making no difference to the people. Their old way of doing things was making no difference. And as we look at things today, I can listen to politicians And they're all saying new things and they're all doing great things, but they're making no difference. They haven't changed the heart of a man. They haven't changed the nature of people. People are still doing things that they did and doing right, going right back to then. We had the, the Romans, you know, were brutal. We have other nations that are brutal now. Men are doing wicked things to, to other men. And it's all death and it's all kind of, um, if you like, vanity. It's going nowhere. Only in Jesus Christ will it go somewhere. Only in the cross of Jesus Christ will we find that there is any release from what's happening in the world. It's a, it's a kind of, um, well, it's sad, isn't it? It's a shame, isn't it? We're, we're in there and out there, people are living their lives and they have no awareness of the sin and the death that they're living in. Possibly convince themselves, I don't know. Only that they know that they're unhappy in this or they're unhappy with that or things are bad. And they look round and they see a world full of misery. They see a world full of hopelessness. But for us, Jesus has come. Jesus is the answer to this. And he testifies, it says, and yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is the nulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope though through which we draw near to God. Hallelujah. This is the hope that Jesus Christ gives us. This is the hope that the cross gives us. That's why he went to a cross. That's why we celebrate it today, because he brought in something new, but it required a death so that new life might come. Even some of the things of nature tell us that there needs to be a death before new life comes. And that's exactly the same for each one of us in this room this morning. There has to be a death. There has to be a death that comes um, to us through Jesus Christ and that on a cross. Um, I want to speak more about this um, Melchizedek who brought... It was interesting because he was both priest and king. And um, he came out to Abraham and Abraham recognised him as a priest. 
And uh, what we need to see is that the culmination of the priesthood, which was against the, the Jewish faith, was that, you know, you couldn't be a king. You could only be a king or you could be a priest. You couldn't be both because that was against the law. But Jesus came and he was both priest and king. And he was also prophet. And he took all of these three men that, that were in touch um, with God. One ruled the people. The other one was their contact with God. And the other one was, was the prophet of God, gave them the word of God. All three of these in the tribe, on the Israel tribe of Israel, all came together in this one culmination of Jesus Christ. And this is, he was explaining this to the Hebrews. They all came together and they were all crucified as one. You see, Jesus was crucified and suddenly all of these different things became one, represented by one person. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become that one person, we become priests. We become kings, we become prophets, we become part of God's world. We receive everything that Jesus was passing on at the cross. Hallelujah. So really, um, this letter should convince us who Jesus is and why he went to a cross. He went to a cross to die so that we might live. That's the kind of basic part of it. But to see the fullness of it, to recognise it, is something that we should savour, we should appreciate and we should come and worship for because what has God done for our lives? If we don't realise this, when we need to see it uh, much more in, um, yeah, I think, I don't want to say anymore. I just, sorry, I'm, I just feel that um, we need to consider that we live in a world that is wicked. Now, you might know that, but I, think, I don't think that we appreciate it, how much sin and how much wickedness there is, there is around us and how urgent the task for us. I don't know whether we know what this hell is like. Is there really a hell? Do we consider that? If we considered that there was a hell, then I think we would be on our knees, weeping for people that we know that are lost in a lost world. Um, and that the, the, the awesomeness of what God did on that day on the cross, how he became the very essence of sin, so that we might live, so that we might come out of that Old Testament and be part of the New Testament. Hallelujah. This is Jesus. This is the one that they nailed to a cross. Nailed to us. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your love. I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy to us, Lord. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your words, Lord, will come into people's hearts, Lord, that this world is going to fold up 
It's going to be the same, Lord. It's going to go and be destroyed. But we have this opportunity. We have this treasure in earthen vessels whereby we can tell the world about Jesus Christ. That there come a day when they will understand just what price you paid and just what you did on a cross. Father, would you wing these words into people's hearts, Lord? Bring order into it, Lord. Father, just ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.